here for a reason. Breaking down the Brotherhood, one prayer at a time. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right on Radio. You are here for a reason. I can't help but feeling we're living a life of illusion, and we're going to be talking about the illusion today. Once again, hello, welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. The tagline of the show is Live Right in the Real World, where I show you the real world, both visible and invisible, and you decide how you want to live in it. Last Thursday, I did a show on the Glad Tidings Church with Dr. David Martin, and I'd asked you if you'd give me permission to do one more show on it and focus on what David Martin's words are uh, in this. The reason I want to do this is not because it makes me happy. Not at all. It's because I see what's happening here. And when I first saw this video, and by the way, I've watched it about five times now in preparation for this. When I first saw this video, I realized just exactly how dangerous this is. You see, Satan knows his plans. And his plans are to deceive you, the born-again Christian. He's already got the rest of the world, folks. But he wants to target you. And he knows that there's only so many different personalities. There's only so many types of personalities. And so he's going to target each individual personality with a different little thing. So, you know, this one, the alchemy that's for like the science fiction guys, the science guys, um, atheists, you know, but it's all going to be mixed in. And there's some really sneaky stuff that is in this video that I really want to uncover for you. And it's not because, listen, you, you know, uh, those of you who have been in this community for a little while, 
you're going to see the deception. You don't need me to point out every single thing, and I can't because this video would be three hours. But I'm going to point out some of the main things. But what I pray to God for, and I'm going to pray in just a second again, is that you understand the methodology and how they are doing this. So when you see the deception coming in in a different format, you know, aimed at uh, just a different personality type or whatever it is, he's got a trigger that's going to trigger you. And it's really important that we spot these things. And it's most important that we get to know our Bibles. Now, Dr. David Martin is a highly intelligent man. And if he were sitting here live with me, I probably wouldn't catch half the things he says. And some of the stuff, honestly, it, you know, you don't have time to process it. And that is part of the deception. Now, you have to remember, I'm not going to cover the introduction, but Dave and Cheryl Bryant of Glad Tidings Church in California, NAR, <laughs> they did a 43-minute introduction basically to tell you to have an open mind because they knew this was going to be controversial. And, you know, in the last 10 minutes of their plea, they're essentially saying to you that if you don't come at this with an open mind, you have a religious spirit and you're not walking in relationship with the Lord. They really say that. It's also important for you to remember, and I covered it last week on the introduction, the, this is important. That Dave Bryan, the reason why he was in contact with Dr. David Martin was because he had a prophetic word, and here I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he did say he would be an apostle to usher in something with the end times, something like that, but it was definitely apostle and usher in, okay? So that's important. He also gave out some of Dr. David Martin's credentials. Dr. David Martin is a doctor of psychiatry. Now, we've learned, because everyone's got to know David Martin with the uh, COVID hysteria and everything else, that he's actually an important dude. He has been in front of the European Union. He's been in front of Congress. He's been in front of all kinds. He's connected. Okay? He is connected. So he has a very, very powerful reach. And if you didn't catch it last time, uh, towards the end of the episode, I played the clip where he says, we in the occult. He's telling you he is in the occult. Now, I actually have a lot of respect for David Martin. Because although it's deceptive, he's serving his God. And he's told you his God is not your God. He's not, he serves a different God. 
So he's being honest with you in the deception that he's playing. If that makes any sense. But he is not a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's a wolf. Now he might say he's a, you know, a friendly wolf, you know, with white, uh, white fur, <laughs> but it is what it is. Let me, uh, let me just pray real quick. Heavenly father, I just, Lord, I pray for your Holy spirit to minister to each and every one that is listening to this Lord, Lord, reveal the methodology in which they're do operating these things. And, and Lord, obviously we'll, I pray the Holy spirit to give correction on the incorrect interpretations of the Bible. Uh, and Lord, just give me the wisdom to speak out. To, and and Lord, I pray that you give me the restraint to not jump in at every single word, because Lord, <laughs> you know I've done my work, and I want to. But Lord, you just direct my path, Lord, to only jump in for the major precepts and concepts, just to make sure that this is that there is no confusion with this you are the author of clarity god and i pray that over each and every one who watches or listens to this video in jesus name amen all right um what i'm going to do is they talk for an hour and 15 minutes and i want to put in my own comments as well so I'm going to just play their little intro reel, which I thought was interesting. And I'll read out what the screen says to those of you who are listening on Podbean. It's only a few words. And it's just showing beautiful scenery, coastal California sort of thing. And then, well, you know what? I, I really figure I could start about eight minutes in because he... Well, he talks about something. Ah, you know what? I'm just going to play it, and it's going to be a little bit long, but it's going to be worth it. Stick with me to the end. And if you do, I might even announce something at the end. But let me uh, let me share my screen and just bring in their little intro to their video. This is from, from her podcast, uh, Cheryl Bryan. And uh, so I guess she has her little intro reel and let's just let's just watch the beautiful scenery and uh the words that come up on the screen life love Ecstasy? <laughs> the Cheryl Bryan podcast. So, life, love, ecstasy. She calls herself a pastor, a minister, um, married to the pastor of a megachurch. Interesting podcast intro. 
I pro I, I'm not going to stop every single time. I'm going to let this play quite a bit, but I'm going to be jumping in. Make no mistake. I'm Cheryl Bryan, and I have my wonderful friend David Martin here with me. And we decided at breakfast this morning we're going to do a podcast. So I'm inviting you to join in and learn new things along with me. And the questions I ask might be challenging for David. Who knows? You never know. Trust She's going to finally stump me. No, that would be a really good one. Yeah, that'll be a great be a one. Good one. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. So my questions, I have a number. I ask you about alchemy, but we'll come to that later. Yeah. So my questions are the first time we met and I started telling you some of the things that I felt like God told me. I'm like, let me restate that, that I know that God told me. God told me when I was young, Cheryl, I want you to walk like Enoch walked. And you said, yep, you could do that. And I was like, what? Why are you saying you can do that? Why? Tell me that. Why do you say that? Because I tell people that all the time because I yeah. actually believe it. And I believe, well, God told me, Cheryl, nothing is impossible for those that believe. And I'm like, it's true. Can we get out of the unbelief of almost everyone yeah. and into walking in the full belief that nothing is impossible? So is that why you said that? Well, no, I, I say it for a bunch of other reasons. Okay. If you think about your family lineage, like every family, there are metaphors that continue throughout lineages that have unfortunately in, in the modern era been misinterpreted. We have a hard time with the concept, for example, of reincarnation. I had a beautiful time in Southern India where I asked people who are very connected to that idea what they mean by it. And it was really informative to, to hear that you expressed in this life form, you were actually incarnated into this life form that is Cheryl Bryan sitting here right now, because you were actually in part of that fearfully and wonderfully made story placed into a lineage. Not any old place, you were placed into a lineage. And like we would say in physics, that neither matter can be created or destroyed. And, and we don't have a problem saying that in physics. We do have a problem saying that with life. And that's a sad thing, because if we actually understood that we are part of a lineage, you know, your life didn't start at conception. Nope. Your life started long before that. It's actually what the Bible says. Okay. And, and so you are, and, and if we get really, really technical about it, the sperm and the egg coming together don't die. All right, so just real quick, because she's agreeing with him, that's actually what the Bible says. He said that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Um, God is a creator. God created all things. So one up for God, zero for science. But he uses... You know, you're part of that wonderfully and fearfully made. You know, you throw in the little Bible thing, it sounds Christianese. You got to catch all these little things. I'm going to try not to interrupt too much, but I just want you to know that. Um, and when he's talking about the, the egg and the sperm coming together and making a new creation, it sounds good too. But... You know, you also can put a seed in some potting soil. 
Does it mean the seed was completely alive? No, it's a it's something that God had created. And out of it comes life. Is, is the soil alive? Well, I guess you could say all the atoms in it are. But it becomes something because of what God has done. And then something emerges in new life. It's two life forms coming together and continuing life, not begetting life. Right? This is not... You're not starting. You're, you're continuing. Yes. You're continuing the merger of two life forms. That's what you're doing. But there's no start. And equally, there's no end. It's a forever. We've always been connected. We always will be connected. That's just the way of things. We're the ones that tell the story of disconnection. Humans invent disconnection. And if you go back and examine the life and the story of Enoch, there's a very beautiful metaphor in there, which is a mantle that is part of the story, which is this notion that there is a bestowing of certain capabilities into the life of Enoch that is actually something which I would say, without having any question at all, is a lineage that you carry. And ironically, your children are also now part of that lineage. Whether they like it or not, whether they embrace it or not, you know what the cool thing is? the universal wisdom that actually decides what gets bestowed on whom does not care whether you agree with it or not. <laughs> In the NAR, you're going to hear the word mantle a lot. Notice how he uses the word mantle. And then he talks about lineage. Let me give you another word for that. Bloodlines. Oh, I want to be part of that bloodline. They, they can do certain things. Carry on, Dave. <laughs> it true. doesn't care. You know, think about Moses and Aaron. Yeah. And Moses go, well, I can't talk. Well, oh well. A, yes, you can. B, stop being a whining, pathetic being. Just go out and do what you're told to do. Right. And and go do it. But Moses still didn't like the idea of it. But he didn't like the idea of it, not because he wasn't prepared to talk. He didn't like the idea of it because he had built an illusion by being raised in Pharaoh's house. He thought of himself as somebody who not only had privilege that the rest of the world didn't, but he also knew that he had killed somebody. And so his real problem was he didn't want to get arrested. <laughs> now, he lied to God and he lied to Aaron and he said, no, I don't want to talk. And God goes, if I ask you to do something, go do it. So if you were told, hey, guess what, Cheryl? There's this Enoch thing. You can go, eh, I think my rational brain is saying, no, not really. And like the burning bush, like every other thing, the message is, I don't care. I don't care whether you believe it. You are entrusted with it. And here's the kicker for you specifically. The problem is when you try to talk yourself out of what you have been entrusted with, at a certain point in time, it can be taken away. Oh, I know that. The, I mean, think about, like, let's just that. say that, I don't know, let's say I'm hopeless romantic. And let's say that I bring a giant bouquet of roses home to Kim. If Kim actually got a bouquet of roses and she looked at them and instead of going, thanks to the roses or, oh my God, and come over and give me a kiss. She goes, but I wanted lilies. Right. What would that send? That would send a message. Yeah. Not just of ingratitude, but it would send a worse message. 
Yeah. Which is, I don't care about the fact that you were entrusted with the, in this case, the love for me. I'm going to tell you that you are inadequate. I'm going to tell you that there's something wrong with you. You know what Kim has never done? She's never done that. Now, it turns out that I know she loves lilies. I know that. And for me, roses are a metaphor. Ooh. So if I'm smart, if I want to communicate that this is coming from me, I'll bring roses. If I want to come and have another message, which is I really care about what you care about, I'll bring lilies. Do you see the difference? Mm -hmm. Both of them are equally generous, but they send different messages. And here's what happens when we're entrusted with a thing. And think about Enoch. We, we think about the end of his story, not the beginning of his story. And that's the sad thing because we don't think about his life. We don't think about what that means. But the mantle of having access to a divine connection, which allows for what we would call supernatural, but we call it supernatural because we don't understand it is natural for those who are in that lineage. It's not supernatural. It's natural for those in the lineage. And we, because we don't want to stand out, we don't want to look weird, we don't want to act weird, we don't want people to think that we're weird, we decide to suppress the gift that we're given. And at a certain point, if you don't use it, it's not that you lose it, it's you actually desecrate the giver. And so when I said that to you, I was actually encouraging you to stop playing small. I've had that happen a few times. <laughs> the truth is that that does happen to me. People tell me, they told me um, a young youth pastor here said, Cheryl, God's trying to put you on his white soapbox and he keeps putting the mic up in front of you, putting the lights on you and you keep getting down. Oh, hold on a second. Why don't we just think about what we just said I, before I, this? I know, started. I know we yeah. are. <laughs> and you keep pushing the mic away. <laughs> And saying, put the lights but off. But I don't want to be on camera, but I don't want to be in front of a mic. Right, right. right. So. So sorry, but that was kind of a, a loaded gift yes. again. Yeah, very funny. And then, you know what the rest of the prophecy was? He said, but what you don't understand right now is there'll be a day that you jump on that soapbox and you grab the mic and you put the lights on yourself. And I was like, no. So, so let's so just pause. Me. Just pause and look at the, look exactly where you are. The lights are on you. The camera is on you. And you just grab the mic. See, you're fulfilling your own prophecy now. There we go. It's pretty wild, honestly, yeah, watching life unfold. I had another prophet tell me, you're going to go on a quantum leap. And I know I have. Well, and this conversation will take you definitely way past quantum. So oh, get ready to jump. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm like, come on, let's bring it. So that is what my first question was. Cause when I first said that to you, cause I tell people all the time, cause I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God said that to me. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. I had never thought about that, but since you said it, we better do this. That's right. your agenda for me. And your agenda for me is better than mine would be. And the truth is I want to step on the box and go, right. Hey, let's do it. Yeah. Because I do know that I have something to say that people may or may not be ready to hear. And that's okay. I'm mm -hmm. okay with that. And I don't mind being weird because my husband has told me for so many years, you are, 
<laughs> very unique individual. I don't mind. I'm like, yeah. it's okay. Because I actually believe that Jesus is everything that I need. I believe he's my life substance. I believe that he is the bread of life. I believe that I don't need natural food and natural water. I believe things that make people nervous. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. And have I only taken it a little ways? Yes. I've done what, eight days, no food, no water, which then people are like, oh my word. But I'm like, no, that's a, that's mm -hmm. a taste test. But look what most. Eight days, no food, no water. I don't think you can live without water that long. Maybe someone might want to look that up. Um, but yeah, I think we need water. Moses did, right? So there's all kinds of stuff. So let's go back to what I originally said this morning over breakfast. Let's tell me about alchemy because God told me, Cheryl, I want you to write a book called The Ultimate Alchemist. And he told me some of the things to put in it. And I haven't yet done that. And I actually was just texting a girl that is writing a book and she was telling me, I'm going to help you. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Cool. So that's why I'm asking you. So funny questions. that we would have talked about Moses in preparation for a conversation about alchemy. Because most people don't realize that the word itself is highly likely to have its original present derivation from the Egyptian cosmology of Kempt. Now, I'm using an anglicized pronunciation, but throughout most of human history, we've somehow keep most of this word together, which is very fascinating to me. I find it horrifically interesting when words don't change, because most words do, but this one doesn't. The, the Greeks, when they started interacting with the Egyptians, which historically we would say, you know, is that kind of cross-Mediterranean interaction that took place somewhere about 1000 BC, if, if you know, depending on who you pay attention to historically. But, but somewhere along the line, the Greeks were inspired by the Egyptian idea of this transformation effect, which became the Greek word chemi which is the Greek that becomes the background of the word alchemy. You can hear that. But the difference is alchemy is the transformation from the Almighty. Al, God, chemi. I love your face, by the way. It's right now. what God told me. I mean, this is in I, the book. This is the book. <laughs> it feels like I'm speaking because... Because it's important. Okay. No, so, so, but so, and, and by the way, and I'm going to put a pin in this because Kim wants to have all this thunder tomorrow. So I can't steal any of her thunder today. Um, <laughs> but sometimes we are warned away from the thing that is probably the most important thing that we should be focused on. And sometimes, particularly in the last 2000 years, the church has decided that the only thing to do is hide the truth from people by pretending that the truth is evil. Okay, so for the last 2,000 years, the church has been hiding the truth. That's an important end-time deception statement. We've been told that alchemy and magic are dark arts. But we literally once called it 
the transformation of the divine. Now let's go back to the story of Moses and you know where this story needs to start. You remember when Moses and Aaron go into the Pharaoh's presence the first time, right? Mm -hmm. And you remember that, that, you know, there's a, a bit of theatrics that go on, right? Quite. My favorite as just because I would have loved to have watched it. Cause I think it'd be fun is the staff into the snake gig. Yeah, that's quite I think that's a fun story. You know, you take your staff, you throw it on the ground, it turns into a snake, it runs around. My favorite part is it eats up all the other snakes. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Not really a setting for a church. Huh? Not really a setting for a church. No, and I would say that the vast majority of blue blood Christian churches right now, if that event happened in the church, they would be praying about the possession rather than the work of God. Yeah, it's true. Because they would go, What's, but it's, but it's a snake. It's straight out and, of the Bible. And you go, yeah. yes. And, you know, it. listen, Ate the other snake. he could have thrown his staff and it would have become an aardvark. He could have. Or anything, yeah. Or a giraffe. Yep. A giraffe would have been cumbersome because giraffes would have a hard time eating other giraffes. But let's just say the story was it went down and it became an aardvark for whatever reason. It would not be as dramatic to have an aardvark eat other aardvarks because you just sit there going, well, that doesn't look as cool. Snakes eating snakes is a pretty cool thing. So I like the fact that we picked that story. But if you if you slow the story down, that was alchemy. Hmm. That was Moses showing not the supremacy of God. Right. Which is what Christianity and what the Hebrew tradition has done with that story. This wasn't my God is better than your gods. That's not what it was. It's the alchemy of light is consuming the alchemy of darkness. Right? All the other little snakes were the magic. They were the sorcerers. They were the spell casters. Best they were the, the dark side. They were the best the dark side had. Yeah. And you have Moses throwing down the staff. And he wasn't winning a, a god off, right? We, we want to do this. Our God is best. No, our God is not best. The God in that story and the God who's trying to get through to humanity is light, Yeah, is light. good. Love. Not yeah. the conquering, you know, ours is better than yours, right? And, and unfortunately, this is where we've lost the plot of the story. And this is where if we're going to tell the story of alchemy, we have to start the story because the first evidence of it is Moses's action. And conveniently, it's kind of in the front of the book. So it's not hard to find, yeah. right? That the first story we're told about this is important. But the reason why I'm mm -hmm. saying that is historically, we don't even use the term because we decided that the story of what happened in Egypt needs to be told through a Hebrew lens. But it was not a Hebrew story because there were no Hebrews at the time. That's why it's not a Hebrew story. And this is where we keep kind of breaking down our own wisdom. And then we go, I wonder why we can't figure things out. Well, because we're not thinking about what we could figure out, right? The same problem we have a couple thousand years later when we forget that Jesus went to Egypt and then all, all right, just before he goes on to this, um, it was a, my God is bigger than your God. That's exactly 
what it was. God had told Moses and Aaron exactly what was going to happen. And it did happen. And the snake ate all their little sorcerer snakes. Because when Moses, or when Aaron threw the rod down, created the snake, and then so they had all their sorcerers could make a whole bunch of snakes. So that tells you one thing, if, you pay, if you're paying attention, the sorcery and, and the enemy, Satan, can do stuff like that too. He can do miracles. But then even the next day, Moses is down there at by the Nile, and he's waiting for Pharaoh to show up, and he tells, look, my God said to me, I'm going to do this as a sign, and you had better let my people go. To the, God wanted the Israelites to be released into the desert so they could worship him, free from Pharaoh. Then, God, then Moses stuck his rod into the Nile, and the Nile River went to blood. The fish died, it stank, but not only in the river, water that people had in their pots and everything went to blood. But then Pharaoh's sorcerers also duplicated that, but obviously on a smaller scale. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then you know the rest of the story of the seven plagues. But it was definitely a my God is bigger. And just so I don't have to jump in one more time, this is the part where he's going to tell the story of Jesus was probably raised in uh, Egypt. He learned to speak Egyptian. And he learned his alchemy in Egypt. Obviously, this is all blasphemous. Now, I'm not a timeline expert guy, but I did look into this. And the consensus from what I've seen is, first of all, someone's kind of thinks they've nailed it, and there's a lot of people who agree with it. It said Jesus and Moses or <laughs> Joseph and Mary were in Egypt for 1266 days, about three and a half years. Jesus returned to Israel, uh, to Nazareth, around four years old. All likelihood grew up speaking, are you ready for this? Egyptian. Because when do you acquire language? You acquire language in the first 12 years of your life. You know where Jesus spent the first 12 years of his life? Probably in Egypt. Because that's roughly how long that purge of children and the purge of looking for the king of the Jews was going on. So he probably spoke Egyptian. He probably learned Egyptian. He probably went to school in Egypt. He probably had Egyptian inputs because, ready for this? He was living in Egypt. That may be why. But we forget that. We think that it went from a manger in Bethlehem to 30 years later. He just shows up on the scene as a son of a carpenter. Nonsense. Oh, uh, one other point I have to make. He said that it's, uh, it wasn't a Hebrew story talking about Moses and Aaron and the Pharaoh. He says it was an Egyptian story. But we look through the lens, which is incorrect, according to him. Uh, through the Hebrew part? No. God wrote the Bible through men. It's not uh, Hebrew or or Egyptian. This is what's God's word is recorded. 
He was in Egypt. He was trained in Egyptian. He spoke Egyptian. He was exposed to Egyptian tradition. And so he probably knew alchemical tools from Egypt. You know why? Because that's what people learned in Egypt. Hmm. So, You see, he's a doctor of psychiatry. And now she's been in the ministry, they claim, for like 40 years. But do you see the importance of knowing your Bible? If he just pulls out a couple things like this and he speaks with authority, like he knows, and he's going to throw in all kinds of fancy words. Oh, really? The Bible actually says that. What's the context? So is the water into wine really anything other than something he learned how to do? I offend people every time I say that, except for the fact that the evidence of what I'm saying is true. It's recorded in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools. Mystery schools. But we're not willing to do this. And this is the reason why, if we're going to set the stage for the answer to your question, we have to remember, what is it? It is the transformation of the divine. And if we understand that that's what the word alchemy is, and by the way, I'm not justifying the dark arts that have used it. And there are a lot, and they have used it to horrible effects. Hmm. Most recently, they've used it to try to kill off the population of Earth through the manipulation of mRNA. Hmm. Pseudouridine, the thing that is in all the injections that people got for COVID, is an alchemical pathway hmm. to kill humanity. It actually takes a very short strand of information in the form of nucleic acids, and it actually turns on a cancer gene. That's an alchemical transformation. Mm. Now, I would suggest to you that it's the darkest of dark arts. Mm -hmm. But don't think for a minute that people who put it in weren't putting the curse on humanity in using the dark arts alchemical process. Mm -hmm. You don't put a thing in that you know is meant to kill people. Yeah. Unless you are ready for this, meaning to kill people. Yeah. Right. So this is why we have to be really careful. I don't ever. Now, I want you to listen to what he says here very carefully about, he says, who we're making into bad guys as if they're good guys. Keep listening. Play with this topic lightly. Because I'm not saying, oh, let's romanticize it and let's go, alchemical things are always good. No, they're not. They can be hijacked like every other energy on earth. But the fact is that we don't have a common understanding of what it is. And as such, what we've done is we've actually thrown it into this kind of questionable camp of you know, what the Aleister Crowley's and the, you know, and the Illuminati's and the everybody else's that we want to turn into bad guys, right? We say, well, but they do it. Therefore, it must be bad. No. They're doing it and they're using it because we have taken it out of our toolbox of what we could do for good. Well, clearly, from my perspective, when God told me, right, the ultimate alchemist and it's him. From my perspective, it's yeah. a good thing, not a bad thing. Right. I, it's like, I don't know anything about alchemy. I know it's turning cool. one substance into another. Yeah. That's so so let's start with the very first one right. that we have in any recorded literature. The... 
All right. So being a tool from our toolbox, lest you be dragged into the temptation of learning this because alchemy is real. There's no doubt that it is real. We just need to pray. I'm going to say that probably about four or five more times in this. We just pray. God can do what he wants. Very first one. Go to Genesis 1, and, and we'll start with the first alchemy. Okay. Okay. There is allegedly, the world was without form and void. And what happens? God moves over the surface of, what does it say? The water. The earth. I, oh, yeah, see, about... no, no, this is the fun part. I'm already trapping you. This you're, is part of You're good of, at this, that, and that's yeah, why I was excited. Yeah, no, that's why it's that. so exciting, right? Yep. He moves over the, the darknesses and the waters, but we said that it was without form and void, but he moves over the face of something. Well, it's tohu ebohu, right? Yep. Without form, and it's destroyed. Right. Right. Isn't but to have something destroyed means that there was a thing, right? Oh, I believe that. Yeah, so... So there's something that was there that Prior went away. That. Yep. That, but we said in the beginning there was destruct destruction. I think so. But in the beginning. Well, but what is that? And here's the, the trap, right? Exactly. But but this is where we get into the linguistic trap, which allows us to be blinded to the process. Mm -hmm. Right. Modern physics gives us this very interesting paradox of the black hole. And according to now the most modern cutting edge physics, the black hole exists as the sum of all information in the universe. And what happens is as the all information gets to its completion, it moves into a phase which we call a black hole. Every physicist now publishing on the topic Ooh. roughly agrees with that, that a black hole is the sum. It's the infinite mass of all information. And it's interesting that out of that in modern physics, the next thing that happens is light. Black holes are the embryo of the now emancipation of the birth of the next, whatever the next is. So the story of the very beginning of the beginning, which starts with an end, which we never talk about, which I think is worth talking about just to make people. All right. Let me jump in here for a second. So. He was over the face of the deep, and it was formless and void. And what they're talking about is the implication that there was something on Earth beforehand, and there's actually some evidence to support that. Um, I have been studying this. Please do not think that I've reached to any conclusions but some of the things that I've been finding out uh, would certainly tend to imply that the angels were living on the earth and building some stuff. Probably building for us until they found out or Satan found out about us. This is theoretical. And, uh, you know, that's the fall and all that stuff. And, Perhaps God just destroyed all the stuff that was here and started 
with a clean slate, but I'll let them go on. Uh, that's just conjecture. The other thing I want to mention is I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you about black holes, but I can tell you one thing about it. Nobody knows. They have not been able to measure these things long enough. You'd have to have an eye on it for a million years <laughs> to see what it does and everything else. Um, they haven't come near it. They haven't done anything. They are all just making this crap up. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I got a pretty solid opinion. People feel very uncomfortable. Well, I was going to bring it up. Because, because if, it, you're, if you're saying that we're starting with an ending, well, then... Then We're that could starting be where... with a thing, which is an interesting thing that begets before the beginning, which means that. there's another beginning and there's another beginning and there's another beginning. And and the point of this is that if we go back and say, what is this? And remember, alchemy, what is that? That is the divine transformation. What's happening is in this world of destruction, a spirit or an energy or a force is moving across that. And movement is very important because transformation can never happen in stasis. I can't go to the top of a mountain and just sit and be transformed. I actually have to be moving. I have to be in motion for any of these things to happen in my own industry. And we'll get to this. All right. So, uh, what he's saying, I believe, has some truth to it here, this part. Um, however, I'll just put in a counterpoint. Um, you can become something doing nothing. You can become really fat if <laughs> you're just sitting on your couch. So there's that. We've actually proven that the effect that happens in static conditions cannot be replicated in moving conditions and vice versa. Movement is part of alchemy. Transformation requires movement. So you'll never get there by sitting on your couch reading self-help books. You'll never get there by sitting in conferences and going, oh, I'm inspired. You'll never get there. You actually have to do something. You have to put yourself in motion for transformation to happen. But what we have in the ingredients of alchemy is energy, light, movement, and then here comes the magic. The magic is a changed perspective. Now, remember that line because it's going to be key all the way through the rest of this video when he says and here comes the magic a changed perspective okay what is magic magic is an illusion this is very important because i actually believe that there's some word magic going on here as well. You have to be able to alter your perspective. So you have to get to a place mm -hmm. where the way you saw a thing is no longer the way you see it. Oh, I believe that. I totally believe that. And I tell people that even with the food thing, yeah. it's about what you think you have to have. Correct. It's about what you think you need. The Bible right. says the spirit gives life. It doesn't actually say that food brings life. Right. So there's all kinds of concept changes that yeah. I think we have to undergo and be willing to look at. And exactly. Go, we aren't what we were told and we don't need what we were told we need. It's right. totally other than that. Yeah. And all of it. We weren't what we were told. 
I'm sorry. I, I know I'm butting in more than I want to, but that means she's doubting God's word. But then she comes in like this nice Christian lady uh, later on. And a lot of times she's just going, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, we're exactly who we are told. Make no mistake, Jesus and God himself, Jesus who is God, has told us exactly who we are. The word of God tells us exactly who we are, what we are to do, everything but is to build dependency, not on a healthy dependency. Yeah. Where a healthy dependency would say is the sharing of purpose rather than the insufficiency of one yeah. requiring the succor of another. Right. So if Moses went to the top of the mountain right. and did no food and no water and he came out shining, right? if we believe that, then why are we afraid? Right. See, she's trying to work out the alchemy and probably to develop a product, how you can, and that's probably going to be part of this book, how you can come out shining because she alludes to the story more than once. She wants to recreate that. Uh, well, let me just put in a, another word for you because I, I really know where these people are coming from. She wants to see the Shekinah glory on you. That's what they're talking about. They're just planting the seeds so they can harvest them later. But it sounds all great. Oh, yeah, Moses went up. He came down. He had the glory of God on him. Yeah, I want that. But you see what they're planting the seeds for is you will be like God. Because we've any been told sense. to be afraid. Because, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's right. Like, no. And last time I checked, you know, I haven't yet met the person who fully nourished with the traditional thing we call food and fully hydrated with the traditional thing we call water has ever been handed the library on stone tablets right. from the almighty. I've never, I've never seen that happen. So. Or their face isn't beaming. Yeah. Right? And I've never seen that happen at a McDonald's or a. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, so that's the way I look there at life. Exactly. So, hmm. So that's movement, light, energy, and changed perspective. The ingredients of alchemy. Very interesting. Because Very remember that out of that then comes what? The second day. Which is even a more problematic day, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, which you know more about than My, me by a long Well, so, thought. but this is, but, but we can talk about it poetically and metaphorically, yeah. which is the way the Hebrew tells the story. And we can also talk about it literally. And we can also talk about it mathematically, and it's worth talking about all three of those, because the second day of creation is actually one of the most fascinating. It is the only day of creation in which God didn't say that the thing he had done was actually done. Hmm. Day one, it was good. Not good, tov, Hebrew, fit for service. Day two, he never adjudicated as even fit for anything. Wow. Day three, we get plants. And ironically, on day four, we get light from the sun, which means the story of photosynthesis is not true. Which is a giant bummer to everybody who sits there going, oh, I think I understand how the system works. No, you don't. Because plant life started growing without the sun. Before. Mm -hmm. 
That's a mind bend. Because we've been told you can't grow things without sunlight, except for the fact that all of the growing things predate the sun by a day. And on the third day of creation, when God says it is fit for service, it is good, he did not say it will be better tomorrow when I make the sun. Nowhere in Genesis does it say, it's almost good enough, but wait till you see the sunlight. No. And day four, when we get the sun and the stars and we get all the cool stuff in the sky, all of that stuff on the fourth day is not, oh, I actually made plants and then, oops, I forgot I needed the light. No. Day three was fine by itself. Day four is fine by itself. The reason why this is important is you have to realize that there's something that happens on the second day. All right. So I got to jump in here. Um, if we don't know our Bibles well, we will be fooled by some of this stuff because it sounds like the creation story that you have read. But there's a couple little details that were conveniently left out of this. Now, I will say I'm fascinated by the second day, as he says, because what he said was true, that it, it, God did not adjudicate it, saying it's fit for service or, you know, it's it's good. But let me just read a little bit to you. And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Now, why do I say that? Because the very first day, he left out that there was light. Perhaps God's light on its own was enough to grow plants. Because there was day and there was morning. Each day passed this. And then it's true, he did put the sun in after the vegetation. But who's to say vegetation can't grow in God's light? And he put darkness there as well. So he was already putting the contrast in because God knew where this thing was going. He knew he was going to be making man. He knew that there needed to be rest. He knew that there needed to be contrast. All of these different things. So we do have to read the scriptures. And when they leave out little finite details, like there was still light without the sun. And by the way, photosynthesis actually seems to be a real thing. Because if you drop a seed into a planter and then put it in the back of your closet in a box that's closed, it's probably not going to grow. But if you put it outside, and many of you who are gardeners will have experienced this, and you put it in a good sunny spot, it grows. 
Now, there are things that can grow in the dark, like mold, which can turn into all kinds of different plant life. Moss, all kinds of stuff can grow in the dark. But photosynthesis is a real thing. Which if you want to understand alchemy, you have to understand the second day. Because the second day, if we actually think about it, is unfortunately something that in modern times we've created an illusion around which we think of as dualism. It's the first time we actually use the word separation. Now, this is very hard for people to unpack, so I'm going to try to do it in pieces. Okay. When we think of separation, right now we mean putting one thing apart from another. Right? So this is how we get to dualism. This is how we get to right and wrong, good and bad, light and dark, all this kind of stuff. So the first separation was actually the very first day. It's not the second day. He's incorrect here. Because God separated day from night. We get to dualism through the notion of separation, as though these things are apart from each other. We would be more correct with the Hebrew if we actually said distinction, not separation. You and I can look at each other right now, and I can pick a feature about you. You have red hair. I don't have hair. That is a distinguishing feature, but it doesn't separate us. No separation, yeah. Right? It's, it, gotcha. You're, you're not better. Well, you are, but no, very generally speaking, hypothetically, very I mean, if Kim was sitting next to you, it would be even worse. I'd be, you know, two against minus one, right? But, but, but we could pick a distinguishing feature and we could say that's a distinction, but that doesn't separate us as right. beings. Right, it's just... And unfortunately, what the second day of, of creation in the story gives us is the notion of the tension, Buckminster Fuller would call it tensegrity, which is the energy that is the connecting energy. It's the elastic energy that pulls us together by putting things at a distance. It doesn't mean they're apart. It means they are now holding energy at a distance. Distinguished. Okay, and it's distinction. But here's the part, and Bucky Fuller is a good example of, of another way of thinking about this. When we decide that you are edge-to-edge edge Cheryl, so Cheryl is the organic material sitting on the opposite side of the table, and Dave is the organic material sitting on the side of the table, and we've decided we are separate. Then we have to jump through all kinds of entanglement hoops, quantum physics hoops. Why is it that we still might share thoughts? Why is it that we still might share connections? Why is it that sometimes I'll just be walking through Virginia and go, I'm thinking about Cheryl Bryan. Why? Because we're all connected, man. Love and light, love and light, Christ consciousness. That's where this is going. Uh, make no mistake. God didn't say he distinguished the day from the night. He separated them. Just like God is going to separate the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. God separates people into all kinds of categories, saved and unsaved, for instance. It doesn't mean that we're all connected. 
Not at all. We have to create entanglement stories when we decide separation is a function of geometry, shape, and distance. And our misunderstanding of the second day of creation is what gives us that. We, we said God said to separate things. But God did not say to separate things. God said put tension in the system by creating distinction. All right. So he's quoting God. So let's just go on and look at, say, see exactly what God said on the second day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning on the second day. So he's misquoting God here. Just be assured of that. And she's not challenging him one bit. She's agreeing because this is the message they want to sell you. That's what the second day is. All you have to do, and this is the root of alchemy. The root of alchemy is the second day. Because in the second day, what you have to see is where there is tension in a system that if we alter perspective, energy, and light, we can actually use that tension to transform into something else. That's all it is. It's I the tension yeah. of the instance of what we think we see and the transformed yeah. into another instance of what we see now. Okay, so he's actually giving a good definition of alchemy here. Um, and it, it make no mistake, it's magic, folks. It's divination. And as we get further on in the video, he's going to give you some really good clues on how it works. And this is not for you to go out and do it, and he's not giving you enough information for you to go out and do it. But when you understand how it works and what the force is behind it, you will know when they start pushing anything near this that it is as far away from God as it can get, but it's going to sound good. And it is not. It's divination. It's magic. It's illusion. It's bad. I like to do this just because it really irritates huge numbers of people. We were given, courtesy of Charles Darwin, the idea of survival. Prior to the natural philosophy movement, survival is not in any language. It is not in any tradition. It is not a dogmatic position. Neither is the concept of fight and flight. The idea that the world's out to get you, that there's a predator somewhere and you are prey, or you are the predator and something else is prey. We invented that concept and we did it as a birth of natural philosophy. But the vast majority of the social awareness around it is courtesy of Darwin where he used the term survival of the fittest. 
Okay. That's not real. Never has been, never will be. There's a very interesting story in the Catamo Caves in Mexico of a very particular type of snake that lives in the roofs of the caves in which bats live. And in the evenings, when the bats fly out of the caves, the snakes hanging from the ceiling catch the bats and eat them. Now, this same kind of snake exists many other places on Earth, but nowhere but this cave does it hang from the ceiling. You know what else hangs from ceilings? Bats. Bats. Here's an interesting alchemical question. Very interesting question. This snake is a land-dwelling snake, but not in the cave of bats. So the question is, do the snakes eat the bats? Or is there a relationship between bats and snakes? Whereas the snakes have eaten bats, they have taken on the intelligence of the bat. They've become bat-like. And they have become bat snakes. Just like the bat flying into the snake is not being preyed upon by the snake. It is moving into its snake form. And the reason why people don't like to hear that is because they don't think about biology. Turns out when a lion or a cheetah is chasing an antelope, we go, look, there's the predator, that's the prey. Why? Because we've been conditioned to think of a world where something's out to get you. Nobody considers the possibility that by pumping adrenaline into the meat, you're actually increasing the lion's capacity to digest, to digest that meat. Is the running gazelle marinating itself so that it has a lion experience that's healthier? Way outside my... But, but, but think about it. Yeah. Think about what I just said. I, I... If we actually think about it, we would see alchemy everywhere. Hmm. We would actually see... Transforming from one... That the transformation is not the end of life, right? We've been told to fear death. We've been told to fear the predator. We've been told there's this... Even in the Bible, the metaphor, you know, there's a prowling lion, right? We've been told to fear things. Rather than to say, what if, what if the whole system was designed to say that, yeah, today you were a bat, but you might have a hankering to have an experience as a snake. So you're now living in the cave in Mexico where that transformation is part of a natural order. What if we saw the savanna not as this blood sport killing ground, what if we saw the savanna is a place where that antelope that's running is now going to have a lion transformation? And the reason I ask the question is because if we saw the natural order the way it actually works, we would see alchemy everywhere. When the tree falls and the fungus grows on it, did the tree die or did the tree now become the intelligent web of all the mycelium that are the brain trust that requ is required for trees to grow. 
Did the tree die or did the tree know that it had absorbed the wisdom of its treeness, which now it wants to share with other trees and the way to do it? It's actually going, I'm done with the treeness of being tree. Now I'm going to fall. Now I'm going to be welcome space for the fungus to come. The mycelium are going to now run off of me and feed all of my lived experiences tree into my fellow trees. So I've now built myself into the lattice and the matrix of the intelligence of a system that says now all the trees are connected to the treeness wisdom that I got as a tree. Now I'm not looking like a tree anymore, but I am the essence of all trees because now I'm connected to all of these other trees. When I was standing alone in the forest, I couldn't share my wisdom. But if I fall, then I can. That almost sounds like something very famous that someone else said. Later right? In your life, yeah. But for the seed falling into the ground, right? And and Cheryl, here's the thing. All right. Wow, is your mind blown, man? Gazelle wanted to have a lion experience. Fight or flight doesn't exist. We invented it. Um, no. If you're in the woods and a bear is running at you, you will experience fight or flight. If there's a predator coming at you of any means, it's fight or flight. But I love how he uses the example of the gazelle and how it's adrenalized blood actually helps the lion be better. <laughs> Listen, this is earth worship, creation worship. This is straight from the pit of hell. And this is getting people ready for your transformation. And it's going to be called many different things. Your ascension. But in Dave and Cheryl's case, it's going to, you're going to be like gods, the manifest sons of God. Listen, instead of thinking of the savannah as a killing field, just give, just hold on a second. Another animal is chasing you, and it's going to rip your flesh out while you are alive. Oh. But I just wanted, that's my lion experience. Come on. You know how many people will fall for this because it sounds, wow, I never thought about it. They've kept this hidden information from us all these years, man. And that's what's happening in the so-called, and I'm doing air quotes, which I hate doing, the so-called truther community. Oh, man. Look at the hidden information. We're going to transform. We're going to ascend. You'll be like gods, knowing both good and evil. This is a story we should be telling. Because when we've decided to demonize a technology that has been used since the beginning of our story, what we've done is we've taken the operating system of life out of our life, and then we wonder why we struggle. 
Okay, but the operating system he's talking about is we've taken alchemy out and we're not practicing witchcraft. Um, the real thing that has been taken out of the system is prayer. Prayer and fasting, in particular, uh, to going together is one of the most powerful things. And yes, you can say to this mountain pickup, if you just believe you pray and you fast, the, all these things can happen but prayer has been demonized because, oh, you pray, you're weak, man. Just go do it. Just do it. Instead of praying, instead of admitting that you are not God and trusting the sovereign creator, who, by the way, has a relationship with you. But so few people spend any time in prayer. That has been what has been demonized, and that is our technology. We wonder why it's so difficult to navigate this very difficult world. Well, I got an idea. Maybe because we're telling a story that is so defiled that we've lost the plot. It's like trying to swim the English Channel without arms and legs and wondering why you sink. Well, you're sinking because you're not using your arms and legs. That's why you sink. And this is the problem. The problem is humanity is at a stage where we need to be able to reconcile ourselves with the fact that we have pulled off of our option list the very tools that God used in creation, and we wonder why we struggle navigating creation. We've pulled off off of our tool belt, the tools that God used in creation. That's because he's God and we're not. That's not a question and it's not a problem. And it's the reason why you were told to write the book. Not asked to, told to. Yeah, I was told. I was told and shown what it looked like. So for me... And by the way, you can just go ahead and transcribe this conversation and three quarters of your book is already written for you. Yeah, well, Isn't that amazing? Well, he showed, <laughs> he told me, he told me to go through the Bible and every time there was an instance that was greater than possible, yep. like Moses, yep. everything that was greater. So yep. what Moses did going up the mountain. Yep. Obviously, he got transformed, yeah. or he would. There was a transfiguration of mm -hmm. sorts, or he wouldn't have come down beaming. Right. But that came out of an obedience, right. and it came out of an other than concept, other than what everybody says is possible. Right. So, but for, see, you would have forgotten the snake story if I didn't tell you. Yeah, but I do bring up the snake story. No, I no, don't. I'm just saying you. I don't have... bring up the snake. It eating the other ones. I bring up the fact that he threw it down oh, yeah, and it no. turned into a snake. Yeah. I never even think about the little snakes that ate. I just think, no, that's a very novel concept. Right. But but the reason Christians. why the reason why I bring that particular metaphor up is because we have we have in the story of of the corruption of alchemy the idea that we're going to take something that is of a base condition and make it a better condition. So all the alchemist stories are led into gold or or what have you. But but the foolhardiness of those stories are self-evident. If it was possible to transform lead into gold, then the value of gold would become lead. Yeah, it'd be nothing. Yeah. 
So the intent of doing that is self-evidently foolish. The reason why we allow it to exist in the occult and the reason why we encourage its existence in the occult. Notice how he says the reason why we encourage it to exist in the occult, he's telling you. Just wanted to make sure you heard that. Is because we don't really want everybody to be able to do that. We want a select few people to be able to do it to manipulate power. Because if everybody knew how to do it, then everybody would go out, find all the lead they could buy up. Tomorrow, they'd turn it all into gold. Yeah. And now gold would have the value of lead, which is a dumb idea, which no one would do. But the occult, and this is a, a trigger that people need to be aware of, when people use alchemy to reorder value, that's always evil. Always. It's always evil to do it so that you can get power, so that you can get influence, so you can get control, so that you can get an advantage. That is not the reason why we it's were given this harder. tool. Yeah, it's evil harder. And so it's really important that we point out that mm -hmm. if people go, well, how do you know it's good or bad? Easy, super easy. Yeah, motive of the heart. If the motive is I'm going to create scarcity, I'm going to take power, mm -hmm. I'm going to create fear, I'm going to do whatever. If that's the motive, it's always evil. Yeah. So it's not, you know, you don't have to have a PhD like you and Dave have in spiritual warfare. You can have a, you can be pretty much an idiot to figure this one out. Is the person trying to take advantage of someone or something? In that case, it's evil. It's evil, yeah. If they're doing something to transform a system for the betterment of everyone, mm -hmm. that's good. Mm -hmm. That's it. So off the top of your head, in the Bible, what are the alchemy things that you can think of? Like every Okay, so let me just, i got to just make this point here because um, he made the distinction between evil and good and alchemy. So what he is talking about is dark magic and white magic. And what they're encouraging is that people need to start taking up white magic. Now, she said something very right. It's what's the intent. Because, and I've mentioned this so many times on the program, it's all about your will and your intent. Jesus wants your will to choose him. And once you choose, you will it to submit yourself into his hands, him being Lord of your life. That's how you get salvation. Now, after that, it's always about the intent of your heart, your will and intent. And your intent of your heart, you can be a sinner. And I'm not saying that sin is good in any way. Sin, aside from salvation, leads you to death. Make no mistake about that. However, you can sin without having intent to be evil. If, well, listen, just some of this stuff makes me so angry. I, you know, I, I clench my fists and stuff like that. And, you know, we're supposed to be slow to anger. Uh, or something happens between you and your spouse and you yell at each other or something like that. Your intent 
wasn't to defile God. It wasn't to sin. You just, you're a sinner. But what the occult wants you to do is to put your intent into something because they can use it, particularly you born again Christians. If the occult and the occult is the hidden knowledge could be light side, it could be dark side. If they can get you to willfully put your intent into doing something, which is in this case, witchcraft, instead of just going to God in prayer, they will use that energy and then Satan goes up to God and he says, hey, 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 Christians there, they're, uh, they're doing the white magic. They're making the community great. They don't need you. They're using my power. Folks, it's really simple. God's gospel is not, it's not complicated. Will and intent, and what does God actually say? What does he actually command us to do? Now here, uh, David Martin is going to get into some biblical examples, and I'm going to have to jump in again because it's misleading. Everything we call a miracle of Jesus is an alchemy, and I can reproduce them all because I have reproduced them all. One. Every one of them. So if, if you actually currently go through the list of all the things that happen, every single one of those is an alchemical transformation. Every one of them. But if you go back through the Old Testament, the high... Okay, so <laughs> he just skips over that, and she doesn't even question it. Now... Look, I, I've been on the other side of an interviewing table, and I'm going to give some grace here. She might not have just processed what he just said. And I think if she had, she would have challenged him on it. However, where I'm going to lack some grace is after this interview was conducted, her and her husband created a 43-minute introduction to get you christian to watch this with an open mind now obviously he just said that he has recreated every one of jesus's miracles <coughs> which were all alchemical now under the definition that he gave originally for alchemy i guess under that category it could be it was divine transformation of something into something else. Under the definition that he provided at the beginning, that works. But he now says that he has recreated every one of Jesus's miracles. So listen, he's a he's famous. He's got big on to on TV, on the internet, all around the world. Purely if you're going to put in the effort to alchemically recreate all of Jesus's miracles, you would have videoed it, right? You know, uh, water to wine, healing lepers, healing all the infirmities, having cripples get up and walk, raising the dead. That's another one that Jesus did. So he says he has done every one of Jesus's miracles. You know that is a flat 
out lie deception from the devil. And this, as a church, is hosting this and pushing this message out and then having them speak in their church. Let's let them continue. Highlight reel, if we were going to create a highlight reel of it. There's no question that one of my favorite ones is the prophet at the well when the little boy comes and says, you know, the prophet says, make me a cake. The little boy goes, if I make you a cake, me and my mother are going to die. He he gets the cake. The mother makes it. And it says for the rest of the famine, the the barrel of oil never ran out. They called it a cruise, depending on what translation you're using. The cruise of oil never ran dry and the flour never ran out. That's pure alchemy. If you actually look at all of the Ark stories, every one of the Ark stories, the Ark of the Covenant yeah. stories, that's all alchemy. When the people died, all that? Everything. If, if you touch it, you die. But if you look upon it, and, and when Moses lift, lifts up the serpent in the wilderness, that's alchemy. Because what that was, when he did it, was actually a transformation of energy. One of the mistakes that you can make when you go through the Bible stories is most of the alchemical stories appear as artifacts. But they don't, they're not appreciated when it's energetic transformations. Nehemiah in the presence of the king is alchemy. When the king actually says, Why is your face downcast? Right? That's alchemy. Why? Very simply, because the idea of that story is that you have a bodyguard to a king. That bodyguard is there to protect the life of the king. And and does it with joy. That's the energetic tension that's being built in the system. Here's a, a you know prophet of God, Nehemiah, who's got a really crap job distinction, which is protect the worst guy on earth yeah. from being assassinated. Yeah, that's rough. Terrible job. Yeah. He does it smiling every single day of his life. That's the tension. That's the distinction that we walk past in the story. He's building distinction. He's a really good guy, really bad guy. That's the tension. The day he walks in with his face downcast is the moment of transformation. Because at that point in time, the loyalty he has earned with the king, which is energy he's put into the system, changes the king's heart entirely. And what does the king do? He doesn't just, and this is why it's alchemy, he doesn't just emancipate the resources for Nehemiah to go rebuild the city. And we do the whole sand ballot story, and we go down the story, and we go, oh, that's the story that gets the attention. But it clearly says in the story that he also reappropriates funds for everyone else of every faith to go back and rebuild all of their temples. This is not a most favored. Nehemiah is not the only beneficiary, because if you don't see the alchemy, you would go... That was favoritism, but it's not favoritism because what was emancipated was not limited to Nehemiah's benefit. It was a transformation. It was a transformation that actually impacted everyone. And there's a key learning in that one, which people don't understand. Alchemy is never for the benefit of the individual. It is always for the benefit of the whole. Mm-hmm. Oh, I believe. Magic is for the benefit of the individual. Interesting. 
Very and blurring that line is where we make mistakes. Mm. Right? Yeah. When well, Jesus did water into wine. Always for the other people. But, 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 but without distinction. This is the important thing. Because remember, what's alchemy? It's, it's using the energy of distinction for transformation. It isn't distinction for distinction. Yeah. It's actually distinction for transformation, which is a very large shift. Yeah. You can always tell Daniel and Lion's Den, alchemy. How do you walk into fire? Alchemy. Every okay. Well, I'm going to have to talk about what he's going to say about Daniel and stuff in a second here. But just briefly, um, the Ark of the Covenant People could not touch it and could not go into the holiest of holies unless they were sanctified in a very specific way because a human could not stand in the presence of God. And the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God on earth. Sin and the presence of God cannot be in the same room, folks. Also, the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was not downcast because he had the worst job in the world, which is kind of the way that he framed it. And maybe I'm misreading it here, but when I read the story of Nehemiah, he was downcast because he was fearful for the people. The walls of the city were down. They were vulnerable. And Nehemiah cared for the people every one of those stories is what is it for the benefit of the people so how does the uh fire how is that one alchemy how because what happens is you listen to this really closely this is important you create the illusion of fire which is both metaphorically and actually an agent of purification yeah. okay did you hear what he said so he's talking about the fiery furnace here. You create the illusion of fire. So he's taking the position that it actually was not a hot furnace, that it was an illusion. Yeah. And in most instances, you would say if a human gets thrown into fire, they die transforms them from one substance to another exactly but in this case it does not only that it yeah. purifies for the benefit of everyone because what happens after that story is now all of a sudden the emancipation of the god of daniel becomes an interesting transformative story that hits everybody That's not just the oh these guys become the hero story because they actually survive the fire and, and this is where, once again, religion misses the boat because we, we're not seeing the story as it is told. R remember, I'm not spinning anything here. Okay, he's absolutely spinning because even the guards that were going to throw the three gentlemen, Meshach, Abednego, uh, into the fire, they were dying from the severe heat just being outside of it to get them close enough to go in, and although they were somewhat of heroes uh, for willing to, you know, go into the fire rather than bow down to the king, 
to worship his pagan god or worship him. They said, we will die for our faith. But the hero of the story was the fourth person who'd appeared inside the fiery furnace, and that was Jesus. He conveniently left that out, and yes, the word spread and God's purposes were again fulfilled because God moves purposefully. But he is spinning it because he's leaving out the most important elements of the story. I'm actually telling the story correctly as it is written. And unfortunately, it's not the Sunday school version. But the Sunday school version doesn't teach kids how to do alchemy. Because we want to create the notion that the only people who are capable of doing the miracle or doing the whatever, we want to pretend like that is reserved for the select few. But it isn't. It is a capacity that is given to every single person. Right. But everyone most people won't lean into it. But they but it's not that they won't even lean into it. Most people are warned against it. Oh. Because most people are told that it's part of the occult or it's part of the dark arts or it's part of something else. And that's because we've decided to take this subclass of abuse. And that's why I don't diminish the truth of there has been abuse, been a bunch of abuse. But there is no question that by rejecting it as a technology, as a utility that is available to everyone, what we've done is we've actually given ourselves no ability to navigate the world with one of the greatest tools that we have. Very interesting. I, uh, I knew I was in over my head <laughs> to begin with. So my personal thing is just take what God told me. Yeah. It's like, Cheryl, write the book. Yeah the ultimate alchemist. And yeah. I'm like, I know this much about alchemy, right? So when I saw you, I thought, I'll ask him. He's going to know a heck of a lot more about it than I would ever imagine. So for me, God is the ultimate alchemist and we are part. We came from him. The intention is for our hearts to be transformed into his very same image that I would look exactly like he would look that on earth as it is in heaven. My personal mm -hmm. opinion is that he gave everyone that invitation it's an invitation <coughs> that goes to everyone and anyone that decides you know what that can happen it's the lens change it's like if i look at the difficulties of life as a chance to be changed right that's what remember in the beginning when he said the magic is the different perspective now she could have jumped in and said well you know what what about prayer but no, God told her to write the ultimate alchemist. <laughs> Which God? He's going to give away some pretty big secrets here. I know the show is getting long. I know this is not easy. But please, I beg of you to stick with me. I don't like doing this any more than you like listening to it. There's really important lessons here if you want to walk straighter with God and not be fooled by foolish doctrine that is hidden in Christianese. And she says some things that just sound wonderful. But what are they not saying? 
that I preach all the time. So if you look at difficulty, once again, now through a slightly different lens and, and, and it's nothing, there's nothing wrong. If you see difficulty in the picture, that's fine. That's the reflex that people characterize the story in. But if you actually look at a difficulty, no matter what it is and go, what is the tension that is being built in a system that is now not separated, but distinct? Okay, right. If so we see a do, difficulty, let's do a gun to my head. Yeah. So that's the difficulty. The difficulty is God told me, take this kid into your home, treat yeah. him like a son. Now he has a gun to my head. Right. It, people can say it's not difficult, but no, it isn't. <laughs> well, it actually wasn't that difficult. No, for me. it, it isn't. And that's kind of point. fun and challenging. Yeah. But, but that's the point. I've had guns pushed into my chest. Right. I've had people yelling at me that they were going to take my life and all those sorts of right. things. It's a wonderful thing when you can recognize that in every one of those instances, it is not difficult. Why? Much like we talked about with the caves and the snakes and bats. When the person put a gun to your head and said, I can kill you. The answer is that the illusion, which was the magic. Where that individual thought that this piece of metal that had this propellant, yeah. which is phosphorus and a bunch of other things. He, he actually thought that that thing had power. Had the power over me. So yeah. in magic, what you do is you try to actually put life force energy into an inanimate object, and you try to actually allow that thing to now have power. Hmm. The problem is when you do that in dark arts, the power has to come from somewhere, right? So he had to have a belief somewhere in his belief, which, by the way, is about as distinct from your belief as you can get, which is you're pretty sure. And I know this from your own life. You're pretty sure that a inanimate object is probably not as powerful as the God that you serve. Yeah, You're pretty sure about that. Pretty positive. Okay? Pretty positive. So now he's going, well, hold on a second. I'm going to put my life force transaction in this thing called a gun. And I'm going to somehow present the gun as an evidence of I have something more powerful than you have. I have power over you. Okay. That's a distinction built on the illusion of separation. But you had connected with this young man as a mother to a son. Right. As a person showing love to a person who didn't understand love. Mm -hmm. And the only way he could have experienced love is by putting a gun to your head. That's the only way he could have experienced it. Because if he didn't take the absolute extreme moment of, I am now going to put a gun to the head of the person who has shown me love, then the energy could have never discharged in the system. And the absence of a bullet coming into your head proves the point that I have seen made over and over and over and over and over again wrong. Tesla, very famously, had this, what was considered to be a, a, an improbable access to understanding the way the universe worked. And people marvel about it all the time. But I've often said that Tesla was blinded by the lightning. And what do I mean by that? Literally and metaphorically, what he chased was, how do I harness the energy of the discharge? Okay, so a little bit of science here, right? In, in a system 
we think of an anode and a cathode. We think of these two charged elements that build charges to the point where they arc. And the arc is lightning. We call that lightning. Mm. That's what happens when a cloud mixes the waters and the vapors and a bunch of other things. And, and through that process, creates an electrical charge. And then the earth and the cloud connect in a thing we call lightning. Well, when I say he was blinded by lightning, there are tons of magicians, and I'm using that term technically. Okay, listen to this part really closely because he's giving you one of the greatest secrets of the occult. And again, this is not for you to try to replicate. This is for you to understand energies and transfers. I'll explain who want to figure out how to harness the power of lightning. Hmm. But the problem is the power wasn't in the lightning. The power was in the moment before the discharge. The discharge is merely the evidence of the power, but the power maximally was the moment right before the lightning strike. But because we're so in love with the idea of the power of lightning, we forget that the more power was the moment before the light happened. Now, why am I putting these stories together? Lightning would have been a bullet went in your head. That would have been the discharge of the energy. And that would have actually left you with a hole in your head and would have left him having shot you. Mm-hmm. But the transformation, which is the transformation that matters is not the lightning. It's when you can harness the energy of the moment right before the moment. One of the things I've done professionally is figured out that the world has been blinded by the lightning. Alchemy is never the lightning because the lightning happens with no plan. It has no immediate benefit it's not targeted it just is it is just the release of energy but the moment right before the lightning is when all of the possibilities exist Mm -hmm. and so your certainty that this young man as devastated as his story was and as wrecked as his life may have appeared your transformation capacity for that young man required that he put a gun to your head it was necessary because he could never have experienced love if the distinction hadn't been maximized to the point right before the lightning strike Mm -hmm. and the coolest thing about this is if you see the world through the lens of if you went through the bible and said where were all the alchemies the answer would be every time the action of one person at an extreme condition transformed a community experience. Hmm. Every time that was alchemy. Very interesting. That is very, very interesting. So I wouldn't have described it that way, but that is exactly, I mean, I know, I always say, no, God took opposites. He would say, mom, I'm the most corrupt person in the, in the area. I don't have a conscience, mm-hmm. nothing. And you're probably the most righteous person mm-hmm. from his perspective. Yep, that's fine. And that was just the way he saw it. He's like, 
what are we even doing in the same car? Right. But I always felt like God set that up on yeah. purpose for transformation of not just him, yeah. but me. Absolutely. So for me, I was being transformed because right. I was being challenged to the core of my being. Can you love in this setting? Right. Can you love in that setting? So that would be alchemy. Well, and then, well, actually, the final alchemy, when you stop asking any of those questions, can you just be love? Become love. That's the whole. Not, not, not in a setting, not to a person. Become right? love. Can you become love? That's All right. Before we get into can you become love? <laughs> What he said about the alchemy and the power, and I'm going to address something that might be, I'll say it as cleanly as possible, but I want to give you the most obvious example, and it's going to explain a lot of things to you, particularly if you're newer and finding out some of this stuff. He said the power was, it isn't the lightning, it's right before the lightning, okay? It's its the harness, that power, immediately before the lightning is discharged. Remember, will and intent. This is what these people do. And without giving alchemical examples, I'll give you one example that I would say most people will relate to, um, unless you're younger. And then I hope you haven't. But there's a reason why they always will bring in kids. They will do perverse behavior. And even, you know, I have this book that I was given and it's very, very high, high level, light side of the system, understanding the universe. I've never shared it on air. I won't. I've never read it. I read through the table of contents, got the gist of it. Don't want to learn it. But right in the middle of the book, there's a chapter on sex magic. And it's all about your will and intent in harnessing, I'll use his words, the lightning before the lightning. It all comes to that moment and it's very finite and of course in procreation is one of the most powerful things that the human has been given where two become one flesh two people come together and then there's a one flesh Satan has backwards engineered all this stuff and he uses it against God. And he uses what was called natural law because God created things to work in concert with each other. 
you know, the lion eats the gazelle because it's lower on the food chain, right? The gazelle doesn't eat the lion because the gazelle wants to have a lion experience. It doesn't happen that way. It's called an ecosystem. And we are to be stewards of it. We're not the redeemers of the land. We're not, we are stewards of the land. And yes, we are called to prosper. There's truth in even that gospel that they put out there. You know, there's the parable of the talents and stuff like that. What are you doing with what God has entrusted you with? But now they're transitioning to love, 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 and it's almost done, uh, the video. Thanks for hanging out. Um, just a few more minutes, but it's really important. What was the message of the from the 60s? Love, 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 make love, not war. And then the 70s was free love. And then the 80s became more perverse and even greater perverse every decade beyond that, um, the destruction of the family. But it's all going to come back. And I've watched a few other videos of David Martin before COVID. And what he gives as a vision for the future is all about how it's great for the community. And, you know, instead of you charging a regular service fee, perhaps that person does travel and they just give you a, a vacation. And so you just go and, you know, no one really owns anything. It's not transaction based anymore. Like this guy is connected to some people or entities that are trying to bring this stuff in. And uh, I'm telling you, go look at some of his older videos. Look them up. You'll see it come up. But now we're getting into love, 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 because, you know, we've been misguided. The Bible's been misinterpreted. It's just all about love. It's all, you know, the Bible, that was all control. The church, Vatican did that to you. That, that's all the crap they're going to say. I pray just about every day for everyone in this community that has been knitted together in this right on radio community, that none of you will fall for the deceptions and go away from God. And I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation. I don't know that, but let's not play with it. Where absolutely nothing no matter what it is, stands in the way of the capacity for you to emanate that regardless of the condition, regardless of the situation, regardless of who's the other side of yep. that. And this is where, and unfortunately, I hate what Hallmark greeting cards have done to this. It's so far beyond the word unconditional. Yeah. Because that still implies that there would be conditions somewhere. This isn't about condition or unconditional or anything yep. else. It is the emanation within you of the pure love, which is part of the essential nature that is woven into your DNA. If you're willing to let it express, it is the pure nature that you are, which doesn't need a transaction. I don't need to have the feedback. Yeah. Right. And and let's be becoming love. You, that's you what I are the emanating force of it. And if you ask the question, yes, but but isn't it coming from somewhere? Yes. 
but it's coming through you as a vessel of the infinite nature of that in everything. And that's why it's no longer Cheryl's love. Yeah, it's not. It is love. Yeah. And when that love encounters anything or anyone else, it's still there. Yeah. yeah. Regardless. And that's what I believe. I believe our job, should we choose to engage, there you go. is to become love. Right. And that requires difficulty. You don't know how much you can forgive unless you're challenged to the core of your being. Exactly. You don't know. So to me, I, I thank God. I look at my life and laugh. I think, God, you're hilarious. The things you've set up for me are hilarious. But yeah. this little alchemy piece, so far outside my understanding. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to write it. I am going to write the book because he said to. Yeah. And so I'm like, eh, you would know more about that by far than I would. But there's obviously way too much of it in the Bible. Yeah. Clearly a ton of it. But he said we could be transfigured. Jesus was transfigured mm -hmm. before he died and rose. Before any of that, he was transfigured. Yeah. Did you catch what she said? She said, Jesus said we could be transfigured. I I went looking for that verse. Um. I didn't find it. Maybe you can let me know. Ah, you know what? There, there's more, but I think the main points of this video are done. I'm just going to leave it there. Um, for those of you, there's... It's actually 15 minutes left in the video. And I, I, uh, I think all the main points were covered. If you want to watch the other 10 minutes, <laughs> God bless you. I can't take any more. <laughs> um, listen, I'm just going to end it right here. Um, I might be doing a short show before the prayer meeting tomorrow, uh, a very short show, maybe about 15, 20 minutes uh, on a Wednesday. That would be unusual. I'm going to see if I can get it done. I got a whole bunch of stuff going on tomorrow, but I'm going to see if I can get that done. I think I will. And, uh, and then I'll have a regular show on Thursday and perhaps I'll even do pod bean again on Friday. Look, I appreciate uh, all the support, and I, I appreciate this community and just, you know, really build each other up, and that's what we're really getting going forward to. I'm going to be launching right on community, and I think you're really going to like it. So God bless each and every one of you. Remember to put him, put God above all things. Love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and <laughs> make a difference in your community.